Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells us why we need a Savior. Romans 1 and 2 says we're all sinners. And I like to use these, these words to describe the kind of sinners we are. Dirty, rotten, filthy sinners. That's what Romans 1 and 2 says. Dirty, rotten, filthy sinners. That's what we are. Romans 1 and 2 says that. It also says that this is not unique to a particular ethnicity. Because he's talking about the Jew and Gentile problem. Both Jews and Gentiles both have offended God greatly. Both are object of divine wrath or divine judgment because of sins we've actually committed. Romans chapter 3, 1 to 10, describes all the things that emanate from within us. From within us. Remember, Jesus says this interesting, makes this interesting statement. It's not that which goes into the man that defiles the man, but that which comes out of the man that defiles him. All the wickedness that's within us erupts from us from time to time. And then at the end of chapter 3, excuse me, the second half of chapter 3, Paul says what God has done through Christ to reconcile us so that God might be just and the justifier of them which believe in Jesus. Now that's an interesting turn of phrase, that he might be just and the justifier of them which believe in Jesus. Now because God is just, because God is good, Because God is righteous, he has to punish sin. Sin cannot go unpunished. This interesting verse in Ecclesiastes where it says, because, this is from the authorized version, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the hearts of men are fully set in them to do evil. We'll put that in the the Terry version, all right? If you don't smack them right away, they think they're getting by with it, and they just do worse and worse. Right? They think they're getting by with it. And so, God, he has to judge sin. Sin has to be judged. And so, he sent Jesus into the world. He judges sin in Christ so that those who are sinners can go free. And that's what Romans 1, 2, and 3 are about. Romans 4, Paul tells us that salvation, that the benefits of the death of Christ are appropriated through faith. We are justified by believing in Him. We are counted righteous before God when we put our faith in Jesus as the sin-atoning Lamb, as the sacrifice of atonement. Then Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is bringing us in now for these first 11 verses. He's going to do a couple interesting things. One thing he's going to do is for the first time in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is going to mention the word love. He's going to say that God loves us. That God loves sinners. He's going to really drive in, however, on justification. And I want to take a moment to tell you what forgiveness is and what justification is because they're not quite the same thing. I wonder, has anybody ever been forgiven for anything? Anybody like that? Any of you husbands ever do do something, have to go to your wife and say, Dear, I'm sorry, and be absolved, be forgiven? Anybody like that? Anybody need it? Anybody need it right now? <laughs> now, we, we don't have to ask wives those questions because wives never do anything to need forgiveness for, do they? Isn't that right, ladies? Say amen, right? <laughs> they say down south, say amen right there. <laughs> forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is the taking away of the penalty. The taking away of the penalty for the wrong that's done. That's what forgiveness is. If I forgive you, we're taking away the penalty. The negative status is taken away. You've brought yourself into a negative status. You ask for forgiveness, and that negative status is taken away. 
Justification is not the same thing. It's similar, but not the same thing. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are justified before God. That is more than forgiveness because it's not just, it's not just that the negative status is taken away. It's that the entire record of your wrong completely is taken away. When you put your faith in Jesus, God looks upon you. He declares you just in his sight, holy in his sight, righteous in his sight. And when he looks at you, it's like you have never, ever, 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 ever been a sinner. He gives to you the record of Jesus. He gives you Christ's obedience. He gives you Christ's righteousness, his own righteousness. So when you put your faith in Jesus, it's much more than just having your sins forgiven. You're justified. You're declared before God as innocent for all time, past, present, and future, that you've never, ever been a sinner. And because you've been justified, because you don't deserve God's wrath anymore, because you've been cleared, well, there are certain benefits to that new relationship. That's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now, let's read this, all right? Romans 5, verse 1. I'm reading from the New International Version. Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that the suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We trust the Lord will add His blessing to the reading of His holy word. God has a long record, a long history of His dealing with man. And the record of God in Holy Scripture shows us that God has been working from the Garden of Eden forward to stave off His own judgment upon man for their sins. God's been working to save men from God. Think about that. God has been working to save man from God. God has been working to save man from God. Now, why is, why is that Why is that so? Because God is going to judge man for sin. You're not going to get to the last day and have Satan over there judging you for your sins. You're going to get to the last day and God's going to be holding you accountable for your sins. God's going to judge you for your sins. You've offended and sinned against a holy, righteous God and you're not getting by with it. He's going to judge you. He's going to cast you into the place of fiery torment. That's your destiny. 
But all through history, God has been working. God's been doing something to save you from that justice, to save you from that wrath. And that's what he has done. He has sent Jesus into the world to save sinners from his just judgment. This begins in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve, they sin against God. And they hide from God. But who comes to find the disobedient sinners? God comes to find them. And what does God do to give them life? He offers a lamb. He offers a sacrifice. He sheds blood so they can be saved, so they can be delivered. So God has been doing this for a long time. And when we get into Romans chapter 5, we have more talk about it. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. Justification. This declaration of righteousness brings us peace with God. We are no longer at odds with God through faith. We've been justified through faith. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, whenever that was, or if you do it at this very moment, this will be your reality, is you have peace with God. God is no longer upset with you. He's no longer angry with you. When you put your faith in Christ, Christ was the one who took all the wrath that you deserve. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you are at peace with God. Peace with God. Now, this peace that you have with God also brings you into favor with God. Favor with God. You live in a state of favoredness or blessedness. Has anybody here ever had a car loan? Mortgage payment? (laughs) Gambling debt? A lot of times when you owe money to somebody, it's due on the 1st or the 15th or whatever day, right? But they give you a little window of time. Usually it's called a grace period. Where in that grace period, they don't assess to you any late charges. Now, how do I know about that? Well, I heard about it. You're in a state of grace. You're in a state of favor. Does the loan company, do they have to give you that status? Do they have to cut you that slack? No, they don't. It's bestowed freely upon you. It's favor. And when you put your faith in God, you have peace with God, and you live in a state of favor. You are under His favorable expression. His ways towards you are all good from that moment forward. Jesus said, God makes it to rain on the just and on the unjust. But when you become a Christian, you're never unjust. You are just forever. And his attitude towards you is basically always positive, even when you're going through things you don't like. And Paul's going to bring this up to us here. So justification brings us into favor with God. And it gives us hope, confidence of entering God's glory. Listen to the reading. And we, last part of verse 2, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Remember Romans 3.10, for all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. But by faith in Christ, we, come, we are able to go into his glory. That's your eternal destiny. If you die with Christ as your Savior, you're going to pass from this world into God's glorious presence. Glorious presence. When I was 18 years old, I went to Bible college in Arkansas. When I got down there, I saw a beautiful girl named Valerie. And, 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 and I wanted to go out with Valerie. I wanted to be her boyfriend. I just had to knock off two or three guys to get to her. 
You know how it is in Arkansas? You shoot them and bury them in the woods, right? <laughs> Beat them to the hogs. Dave, how do you know that? <laughs> I, re- I can remember trying to get her to like me. And I can remember that, that day. And, and we, we, did, we started dating, you know, and going to Taco Bell and doing all the things that teenagers do. And <laughs> real elaborate dates, right? <laughs> Taco Bell. We'd, we'd go there and I would sit there and I would look at her. And when, when she said she would go out with me, I was just thrilled. Finally, this beautiful angel from heaven was going to let me bask in her presence. When we went to church, I got to sit by her in church. After church, she stood around and talked to me. We'd ride around in a car together. We'd go places. If she got there before I got there, she would wait in the foyer for me. You guys remember times like that? Instead of rushing in and doing her thing, she waited for me. And I was with her. I was, I was glad to be in her presence. And I can remember what it was like to not be in her presence. You know that old song? I'm not going to sing it. Like a million miles away across the floor. My eyes adored you. So close. So close, but what? So far. (laughs) But now, through faith, as we behold the gloriousness of God, Romans 3.10 says our sins have kept us out of His glory, but now through faith in His Son, through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we can enter into His glory. And Paul uses an interesting word here. We have hope. Hope. Now, the way we use hope and the way the word, what the word hope actually means is sometimes lost. And I think it's because the meaning has changed over time. Hope actually means confidence in a better future. Confidence in a better future. You ask somebody, hey, you're going to get a good job someday? Oh, I hope so. That's not confidence. But when the Bible talks about hope, it uses it in that positive sense. That is what what you have. It's guaranteed. Because we are longing for and looking for Jesus to return from on high. And the Bible calls that our blessed what? Our blessed hope. We are looking for him to return from heaven. And we are sure of that. We are confident that he is coming. That's our hope. That's our hope. We're looking forward to him coming. When we have peace with God, when we are justified, it brings us into this hope of entering God's glory. We're going to be with him. In verses 3 through 4, the apostle Paul shifts gears here. He says, not only so do we glory in being with God, in the glory of God, but we also glory or boast in our sufferings. Now, this is a, this is a thing that, how can we boast How can we be thrilled by sufferings? You might be here right now and you feel like you are suffering. You may be going through different kinds of suffering. There is emotional suffering. There is physical suffering. There is financial suffering. There's all kinds of sufferings that are out there. So how can these sufferings be something to be glad about? How can they be something for us to glory in? And that's because our sufferings as believers, when coupled with the Holy Spirit, produce in us wonderful things, good things. Suffering coupled with the Holy Spirit produces in us good things. Now look at your text there. Look at your Bible. 
verse 4. Last part of 3 and verse 4. We know that suffering produces perseverance. What is perseverance? Strength. It's, it's tenacity. It's ongoingness. It's sticking in there, persevering. Has anybody, have you guys ever tried to do a plank? Where you get down on the floor on your hands, on your hands and knees and you, you lock it out and you're going to build up your core? And you, you're going to do a 45-second plank, right? Or a 60-second plank. Or a two-minute plank. And what happens about 10 seconds into that? <laughs> I like being fat. <laughs> I'm built for comfort, not speed. <laughs> but you, but you, you, you lock it down and men, you're persevering, persevering, and you do it day after day, and you go from 45 seconds to a minute to two minutes until I saw a guy do a 45-minute plank. What a wacko. There's a world record for it. It's way up there. But perseverance, suffering causes perseverance. We persevere through, persevere through. How many of you young people are going to school, and basically you're just persevering through school? You're just sticking at it, just chipping away at it. Eventually, you're going to graduate. Eventually, you're going to finish it. Perseverance. Suffering causes perseverance. It's impossible to persevere when it's easy. It's impossible to persevere when it's easy. We have to have challenging times. When I was a little kid, we, had, we played baseball. We had one baseball coach. His name was Rusty Sprouse. Rusty Sprouse was the most laid-back, coolest guy you'll ever meet basically let us do whatever we wanted to do, you know, play whatever position we wanted to play. It was great. And then the next year, Bobby Smiley became our coach. I still hate Bobby Smiley. Because he would make us do this. We had the foul, the foul line from home plate to the foul line. I don't know if I could still do this. He'd make us duck walk. All the way from home plate, all the way to the foul pole and back. Once we got good at that, he said, now go around the fence all the way back. Man, I hated him. He made us run and run and run and practice all this stuff. And, but he made me a better ball player. But I had to have somebody make it hard on me. Suffering causes perseverance. And you can't persevere. You can't learn strength unless you've suffered. Now, Suffering brings perseverance. And perseverance, character. Character follows. Character. Now this, is the, now, this is an interesting word. In the authorized version, it says experience. The Greek word here means trustiness. <laughs> trustiness. To, to sum it up, what it means here is it makes us better. Doing right when it's easy is easy, right? But doing right when it's hard, that produces character. When you're the only kid, and all, you, know, you say you're, you're one kid, and all your friends are throwing rocks and breaking windows, and they're all saying, come on, come on, come on, do this, do this. And you say, I'm not going to do it, and you guys all need to stop. Which is easier, to go with the crowd or to take a stand? Which is easier? To go with the crowd is always easier. 
It's, it's this way in Christendom. To just go with the crowd, whatever the trends are, just follow the trends. These, that's always easier. But doing the right thing when it's difficult brings character. And this is exactly what Jesus our Lord did. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. When it costs you something, it, makes, it creates character within you. When obedience hurts, it makes you better, gives you character. So as a parent, sometimes you always want to make your kid's life easier, right? None of you guys want to do that. Good. Sometimes we give our kids hard jobs because we dislike them. <laughs> I can't talk to Dave anymore because he, he's always messing up my illustrations. Gotten bigger. We give them hard jobs to make them better. When I was a kid, my dad used to make me run the weed eater, mow the grass, do all that stuff. My son Mitchell is here. Mitchell's a great kid. He's, he's a great kid. <laughs> His sisters are going, loser, loser. <laughs> he has great sisters too. <laughs> and a great little brother. I can remember, watch, I'd make Mitchell cut the grass. And, he, and I'd say, Mitchell, go cut the grass. And he did not like cutting the grass. But he had a lot of good reasons for it. One was when he cut the grass, his allergies would just blow up. He, it would just make him sick to cut the grass. But I'd say, but I never let up. <laughs> cut the grass. Work. I can remember when he, when he was about eight years old, we were cleaning out this old shed. It was hot. It was in Arkansas. Man, it was hotter than, it was hotter than you know what. It was hot. And half this shed, somebody had scraped a bunch of old floor tiles out of this house we lived in and just throwed them in this shed. We were trying to get rid of them. And I had Mitchell out there, and we were going uphill, you know. And I said, Mitchell, we got to move this stuff out. And so he was just working, working, working. I can remember watching him and thinking to myself, this kid is really working hard. Hard-working kid. And all the way through, he's always been that way. All, all the way, but I, I want to take credit for it because I made him do the hard things. And then, then when, he, when he got to be 18 years old, he moved out from home. Got a job working at a coffee shop. We were working there for a while. But he would tell us about all the hours he was working, all the things he was doing. 20-hour days, seven days a week, just working, working, working. My favorite story, as he's told me, is he wore the same clothes like seven days in a row. (laughs) What a man. Take them clothes off, stand them in the corner, put them back on. <laughs> Just working. And you know, that makes you tough. Strengthens in the sufferings of it. The sufferings of it. Suffering makes character. And then finally, there's hope. How can sufferings create hope? Well, that's self-obvious, isn't it? Self-evident, I would say. If you're suffering, you're always hoping that what? Things get better. And if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit is helping you to know with confidence it's going to get better. Because this world is eventually going to come to an end. Or your life is going to come to an end. 
And you're going to pass from this world into the great rest, into the visible, spiritual, and one day physical rest of Christ. Justification means God is working in us, taking even our bad times and working them for our good. Suffering is a key component in making us better because doing right often causes us to suffer. Justification has brought us into a whole new existence with God. Now let's look at verse 5. The Apostle Paul says that hope does not put us to shame. This hope that we gain does not put us to shame. It, it, is, it is something we put our trust in him. The word hope means to expect with confidence. And we, we have hope. How can we have hope? Look at the rest of the verse. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can have hope. We can have confidence because God's love is gushing forth through us. That's what this word means where it says poured. It means to gush forth. Gush. (laughs) Who says gush? Gushed. Has gushed forth. Gush <laughs> has gushed forth <laughs> through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in us, rolling through us. And the Holy Spirit causes us to know God's love better. There's one thing I've learned from reading the scriptures regularly is I have never read the scriptures and felt like God didn't love me. I've read the scriptures and find over and over how much God does love me. That he does love me. That he, and that's the Holy Spirit bearing witness inside of me. And then verses 6 to 11, we have Paul kind of saves the best for last maybe where he says he gives us the evidence of God's love. How do we know that God has loved us? Christ died for sinners. Look at that. Third phrase of verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. This is the people for whom Christ came. And then Paul gives us this great example in verse 7. Very rarely will will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. I'm sure there are men and women in this room who would lay down their life for others. If some little kid was out here in the parking lot running around and you saw a car shooting towards him, you'd run over there and shove that kid out of the way and throw your own body over that kid. Because you have love and compassion in your heart for children. But there's probably some person who you just go, oh, you wouldn't do anything for. It's possible that someone would dare die for a good person. But Jesus did not come and die for good people. He died for ungodly people. And my friends, if you do not admit that you are ungodly, then Jesus did not die for you. Because this holy word says he died for the ungodly. This is is not a character contest. You don't get into heaven because you've been extra good. You get into heaven because you put your faith in Jesus to pay for your sins. Christ died for sinners. And then in verses 9 through 11, it says that we have been justified through this death. We have been now justified by his blood. Every time you see that word blood like that, 
it's like, it's like a highlighter that says serious. Serious. If you play basketball, sometimes you'll hear somebody say, no blood, no what? <laughs> no blood, no foul. Which means what? No big deal. If you're not bleeding, you're okay. When I was a little kid and would fall hurt myself, my dad would come look at me. If he saw no blood, you know what he would say? You're all right. It's a long way from your heart. (laughs) A paragon of compassion was my father. It's a long way from your heart. When you see blood here, it it tells us that this is serious. Jesus actually shed his real human blood and his real human blood that was shed on calvary atoned for your real sins justified by his blood and because we've been justified by his blood we shall be saved from whose wrath god's wrath through jesus we are saved from wrath through jesus you see our relationship with god which has been estranged by our sins, our relationship with God is healed, is rectified. We are reconciled with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for us, and we put our faith in his death that he did die for us, and that brings us into fellowship with God. We have peace with God. We enjoy the special status with God through faith in the blood of Christ. His death has brought us a benefit. And the resurrection of Christ, because Christ did not only die for our sins, he died and was in the ground, and he rose from the dead after three days. And his resurrection, his resurrected life, removes any possibility that we can lose our status of being reconciled. Because he lives, ever lives to make intercession for us. He is the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, because Jesus Christ is in heaven, bearing his marks, the the marks of the cross, the marks of your sins in his body. He sits there on the heavenly throne as an eternal, undying example, as example, evidence that your sins were paid for. One of my friends, Don Fortner, he talked to, he'd say this about, about Jesus being on, on the heavenly throne. Don Fortner would say this. When I look at myself, I always feel like I'm not a Christian. I always feel unsaved. Because when he looks at himself, what does he see? Sin. He said, but when I look at Jesus, I always feel saved. This is why Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. Let me say this to you, I'm going to wind this, I'm going to bring the sermon to an end. If you're here this morning, and you got a bad taste in your mouth about Christianity or about religion, you got a bad taste in your mouth about Christianity or religion, I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. I've been a Christian my whole life. Whole life. <laughs> I've been a Christian since I was 15 years old. And I've been going to church my whole life. And I've been disappointed a lot by Christians. Anybody else? I've been hurt by Christians. Anybody else? I wanted to choke the life out of Christians. Anybody else? 
Christians have let me down over and over again. But that blessed Christ, He has never let me down. He has never let me down. He came to save me. He did save me. He's saved me now. He's keeping me saved. And I'm going to walk through this life saved because of Him. We've got to keep our eyes on Him. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Christ. And so we can boast in this. Verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've been brought into fellowship with God through Christ, and this is an unending status. Through faith in Christ, we've been brought into this wonderful status of being one of God's children. As a believer, you've been brought into a glorious eternal state. The sufferings of our current life are the fire that God is using to purify you. You are the clay and he is the potter. He's making you into a more glorious vessel, more than you can realize. You are gold in his possession. He is the refiner making you even more glorious for the heavenly realm. That's what you are as a believer. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you've never intentionally put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to say this to you, you are not a part of the blessed state. You are in a horrible situation. You're doomed. You're damned. You're destined for eternal torment in a place called hell because of your sins. And unless you put your faith in Christ as the Savior, as the forgiver of your sins, you're going to go to hell when you die. And you don't know when that's going to be. You don't know when you're going to die. Last Sunday morning, not far from here, it was a car, a car wreck. A lady slid off the road, hit a tree, wrapped her car around the tree. One of the people in the car died. I'm sure that person didn't expect they're going to die that day. Nobody who dies really expects to die. Death, death is coming. You don't know when it's going to come for you. If it comes for you and you're not a Christian, you're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to go. Listen, that's a, re, that's a reality. You've got to put your faith in Jesus now while you can. You say, well, you're trying to scare me. Yes, I am. I am definitely trying to shock you, to let you know this is not a game. Heaven's real, hell's real. There are people in heaven right now, and there are people in hell right now. And only those people in heaven, they only got there because they put their faith in Jesus. There's no other way. They put their faith in Jesus. And the people in hell are there because they did not put their faith in Jesus. Call upon him. He will save you. You say, well, you don't know my record, you don't know my past. I don't have to know it. God knows it. And it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. It's God's holy word. You call, he saves. You don't call, he don't save. Turn to Christ while you can. Let's pray together and then we'll stand and sing a song. Father, we pray you bless these words to our hearts. Save the sinners. Lift up the saints, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.